All right, guys, welcome to the Union Fitness Podcast. Today we have one of our staff members, one of our new staff members, Mr. Cody Miller. How are you doing, Cody? I'm great. How are you, CJ? <laughs> that sounded like a voice message. <laughs> like, a, like a voicemail. I've been told I, I can be robotic. That's all right. Uh, so um, today we are just going to go over his background, what brought him to Union Fitness, um, his background in powerlifting, strength and conditioning, where he's worked, where he's been, where he wants to go, and uh, we'll have a little bit of fun. Cody, I'm going to open it up to you. Uh, You are from West Virginia? Yeah, let me tell you a (laughs) bit about that. Yes. Um, So those of you who don't know me and you're listening, uh, which is most of you. (laughs) (laughs) All three of you. (laughs) So I was born in Beaver, uh, and I was raised just across the border in uh, rural West Virginia. I grew up on about a 130-acre farm. My uh, grandfather had Guernsey cattle, uh, and uh, had them until I was about two when he died. What are Guernsey cattle? Guernsey are beef cattle. Oh, okay. They're beef cattle. Like you didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that. I'm kidding. I didn't know that. So they're they're brown. They're they're beef cattle. So we had a barn and you know lots of land for for them, but uh, mostly vegetable farming now. Um, my father was a writer and worked in public uh, public relations. Uh, my mother was a vet. Uh, but mostly stayed at home, especially after uh, my brother and sister and I were born. Uh, she maybe worked one day a week, but a veterinarian by profession. Uh, my father uh, was, I think, the ultimate generalist. And uh, even though he had an English major, he uh, was very knowledgeable in language and politics, history. It also taught himself how to... Uh, he built our house. So my, both my uh, parents in the 70s were huge hippies, and uh, they, built my, they decided it was a good idea to build a geode- uh, geodesic dome. So I live in a dome house. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, but my father built it. He, he basically taught himself. Obviously, he didn't have any formal training or anything like that. But, uh, and, and I think he, he might be the closest thing to like an autodidact that I know. That's someone uh, does a lot of stuff. So <laughs> right. Self-taught. Jeez. <laughs> Dude, I know something. Does Dude, a lot of stuff. Or lady who does a lot of things. Yeah, and so teaches them teaches themselves how to do it. Uh, introverted and stoic, but with a sarcastic sense of humor. Um, and uh, my mother, uh, she's the vet. She was scientific-minded. When it came to math, finances, economics, physiology, pharmacology... Most of that stuff, she was, she was, you know, the head of the household, and really, in in the bigger picture, was the head of the household. It was, it was I lived in a matriarchy, uh, where my mother kind of ran things, and my dad was the uh, compliant go alonger. Sounds like my home. Yeah, it's, I think it's a lot of homes, you honestly. Know my wife. Yes, I do. So that's a, a lovely woman. A very similar, very similar setup. Where she kind of directed the family and and uh, led us in in all of our pursuits, and um, she was the very extroverted one. He's very introverted, uh, and from them, my father I think taught me duty, responsibility, uh, being separate from my feelings and what my duty was to my family and what my duty was to my job and, and the people that depended on my uh, depended on me was more important than how I felt in the moment both taught insatiable work ethic I think 
uh, one of my one of my favorite memories and earliest memories of especially my father was he would get up in the morning and he put on a suit and tie and he would it was about 6 30 7 o'clock he'd be shaving in in the bathroom and he'd go to his job his eight to four nine to five job and then he would come home and he would immediately take off his tie he would take off his call or my his button-up shirt and put on work clothes and he would go out on the farm until it was dark and he would come back in so we'd always joke that he was a workaholic and hyper industrious like he can't not do something and my mother's the same way uh just an insatiable work ethic and, and constantly doing something and i think that uh i got it on us from them genetically but obviously try to develop that as much as i can um so from my mother and father both uh developed a community-minded approach and pretty much everything that i do especially from my mother she's she's the, the glue person but being community-minded and everything that I do is for the betterment of others. Uh, both of them, my both my parents are probably the two most selfless people that I know, and everything that they do is is for the betterment of our family and and the community that surround uh, surrounds us <clears throat> in West Virginia, Ohio, and the bordering PA. We're right in the tri-state area. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, my childhood was, I think, the very start of the, the strength and conditioning and the performance training. It came from, number one, some of the values that they, they instilled in, in me and my brother and sister. That's exactly what I was going to ask you next. Yeah. yeah. So um, some, of the, some of the rules or some of the standards, heuristics that were in the household uh, for the most part, my my parents never really talked about abilities. They never talked about uh, what they were good at. They didn't talk about what they were, is they especially never talked about what they were bad at. That that was something that reflecting on my earlier years was very interesting. Is that I never, especially my dad, I never heard him say that he was bad at anything. It was always uh, I could I could get better at that or like let's try. You know, he never said, I'm bad at that, and then period, done, like it can't get any better. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, I mean, the Carol Dweck has outlined that as growth mindset and fixed mindset. So, definitely came from a growth mindset upbringing. And what we did talk about all the time, instead of abilities, we talked about work ethic and uh, attitude. And actually, probably the thing that came up the most in uh, my younger years was laziness and then it's it's a uh, opposite work ethic so that was that was something we talked talked about all the time and and came up day to day and then um, laziness is in like just not wanting to get a job or not wanting to really do anything yeah not wanting to do anything yeah not being useful not not uh not contributing a, a big part of it was contributing to the family you know, my one of my mother's favorite sayings is, well, her favorite saying is life's tough, then you die. And then the second one is uh, get up and pay for your bed. So it was it was every every morning, you know, dragging out of bed and she would say, wake up, you have to pay for your bed. So that meant that you had to contribute something to the family. Uh, and that was done through sweat equity. 
Um, another thing that another value that was taught it was uh, never quitting. So the general rule was, if you started something, you had to do it for a year. Like if you started a new instrument, if you started a new sport, if you started whatever it was, you had to see it through to its annual end, mm-hmm. and then you could quit. Yep. If you really didn't feel that strongly about it anymore, you could quit. But as far as like you start something and a day or two into it or whatever you aren't feeling it, uh, nope, you got to keep going. So, and uh, I'll tell I'll tell a story about that later. Uh, but other values would be that people have inherent value and to treat people well, to love others, to care about others, uh, even when they don't deserve it. And that's the that's the tough part because it's easy to love who you lo- uh, who loves you, but caring about all people regardless of how they feel about you. Uh, and in retrospect, looking back, that's a very uh, stoic mindset in that you can always control your attitude. You can always control how you uh, perceive the situation, but you can't control other people. And so that was a main tenet, along with work ethic. Uh, and those were really the, the two biggest ones. Uh, being optimistic, you know, looking, seeing the best and giving charity uh to other people to assume the best in others until they prove you wrong uh, but initially you know assume the best mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know I think that th- those three uh, standards those three values are kind of like the ones that stick out in my mind and and kind of every other decision kind of flowed down from those ones yeah I mean it's it's good <clears throat> growing up with just values in general like that very simple very meaningful yeah um did you you said you had a brother or brother and sister yeah i have a brother and sister and they're actually a good bit older my brother's 10 years older my sister's eight years older i was kind of the whoopsie um but they still like me uh even though uh i've met i've met your parents i don't think they do they, not, that, not much not much <laughs> well did, they, you, did you have like certain duties and stuff around the farm because you oh, said your dad my worked gosh. a lot you guys, I'm sure well since you were the whoopsie did you have to do like a hell of a lot more well that's the thing is they got to work together it was bull you know they got to like tag team projects and then I was like doing you could have finished that I was doing I was doing <laughs> bull, <laughs> it was bull poop uh, so what what we did was my mother, and this is, uh, you know, at times she was very caring, but at other times she's, you know, uh, kind of mean. Uh, and one of the <laughs> jobs, it's necessary. I don't know. I'm going to tell them not to. Do they have radio in West Virginia. <laughs> we have an old AM radio in West Virginia. Also on John Denver Radio. <laughs> we listen to that AM. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Hopefully we don't have many listeners in West Virginia because we lost them all. <laughs> we lost them all. Uh, so one of the jobs that we had was um, my mother is a big gardener too. She loves like flowers and all that crap. Flowers and crap. And uh, so we would go out and we'd have to fill up drywall buckets of weeds. This was like a job when you were very small. Like this was started at like four at least. <laughs> so four or five, she figured you could go pull weeds. So you just go out, identify, be like, this is what you pull. This is what you don't. Put this in the bucket, leave this stuff. And so the job was you had to get a certain number of drywall buckets full of weeds before you could go play, before you could go do stuff that you wanted to do. 
And, you know, me, I would draw it out as long as I could because I was so lazy when I grew up. I was so incredibly lazy. And so I would just, I would go as slow as I could because I didn't want to do it. Uh, and it, it wasn't like I had the mindset of, oh, I'll just get this done really fast so I can go play. It was just like the whole time I was just, there was just rage <laughs> and anger inside that I had to pull these weeds. But what I do is I fill these buckets up. I fill up these buckets up with weeds. And, you know, I'd take like three of these drywall buckets. I'd be like, hey, look, I'm done. And my mother would t- take the buckets and stomp the weeds to the very bottom and then pour, pour like all three of the buckets that I had into one bucket and literally stomp them down. So at the end, I had half a bucket. And then she would say, okay, you have two and a half more buckets. Just when I thought for a split second that I was free. And that all of my hopes were just dashed. You know, uh, here's what I, I want to go back to the beginning of the story. <laughs> You said you wanted to go play. Yeah. You grew up, you know, uh, 38 miles away from nowhere. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like you were riding down a neighbor's house to play. You weren't Tenzin going next door. No. So picking weeds was playing. No, it was yeah, not. Was it was terrible. Had, bro. Well, there was no video games, no. no radio, so just be happy. No, weeds. But, but what I did instead was I just would, like, find a stick that looked like a sword and go out in the yard and just swing it around and pretend <laughs> that I was... <laughs> You could have swung at some weeds and chopped them up. Come on, you got to think. I imagine. That's what not I did. Not very most. industrious. You were fond no. of industrious. No. Uh, early in my life, not. Not at all. But You're I, assuming you are now. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'm, you guys could see that. I'm hyper-industrious. Uh, but, yes. yes. So, when I... But what my, my image of with me playing literally was that. Me playing in the yard, like swinging a stick around. And I, I picture my... My parents, like, creeping up to, like, the window pane, like, looking out in the yard, and I'm just, like, playing with no one, swinging the stick around, and be like, hey, what do you think Cody's doing? Oh, I don't know. I don't think the rest of our kids, the other kids played this much, or pretended this much. And they go, yeah, I don't know. He's kind of weird. Should we do something? No. And then slowly back away. Well, you know, it's my third. It's also my yeah, third, third a, kid. You've yeah. given up on parents. Right, yeah. Ah, let him go. Yeah. The we, first one, you're worried. Second yeah. one, you're still into it. By the third one. We were, we were talking about this the other day. Yeah, we were talking about this the other day. And we were talking about how many rated R movies I watched when I was young. And I was like, I came to the conclusion that the, the only reason I watched them was that everyone else wanted to watch it. And like, we got Cody here. He's, you know what? He's fine. He can watch all the blood and gore and all the swearing and all the nudity and everything, like, all the... And it was like, if it's that bad, like, we'll just cover his ears or we'll just, like, cover his eyes. Hey, look that way, Cody. Yeah. Look that way. And then, and then you know, uh, inevitably it would turn into, like, oh, we missed it. Oh, he'll be fine. He saw it. He's going to be good. <laughs> and, you know, I just rack up all these so rated R movies. what is your movies. favorite rated R film of the 80s? Oh, man, probably Predator. Thinking about West Virginia? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably Predator or anything with Arnold because I think I was the going to Texas Chainsaw Massacre actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, when I saw Arnold and um, Dylan, you know, yeah. Predator, great, great scene. You know, great scene. Yeah, and I, from that point on, I saw Arnold's arm and I go, I want that. I want that thing right there. And you never that got ball it. in his arm. <laughs> and you never got it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think... You get implants. Oh, yeah. Now, wait, what's your current body weight? I think, like, 210. What's your heaviest? Like, 250. 250. Now, hold on. I want the listeners to gather this. Within the last 
the 13 years of your life, what's your lightest? So your adult life. Oh, like, I think I was weighing in, I think I weighed in a couple times when I was 17 or 18, like 147 or 148. (laughs) Do me a favor, Cody Miller, Facebook. (laughs) You know, the great part about Facebook, you really go back in time. I've deleted most of it. No, the pictures (laughs) on the beach are still there because I showed you it. That's Cody. And they go, that's not Cody. Yeah, Um, I tried to delete most of those. so, So, So let me delve into that. Let me ask you this. What's the secret to weight gain? Oh, man. Uh, every time you... No, hold on. Do we put a disclaimer? Don't do this at home, kids. Uh, don't do this. This is not... Uh, if you're looking for Still health and f- health and fitness, don't do this. Uh, every time you eat, you eat until you're nauseous. What type of food were you thinking? That was grilled chicken breast, right? You know, Little Caesars Hot and Ready, Qdoba, and uh, like Lipton iced tea with like 100 grams of sugar <laughs> per bottle. So you, then you got diabetes. Yes. <laughs> no, I actually, I actually think I was pre-diabetic when I was going through that and trying to just be as big as so possible. You gained ninety pounds. I gained ninety pounds in like two years. Oh my god! Yeah, you could still walk in your hands because I saw it when you were ninety pounds heavier. Yeah, I kept some relative strength, but for the most part, I couldn't move. Uh, he, just for the record, Cody is so unhealthy. I'll tell the story. He came when Cody was an undergrad. Him and uh, his friends. Um, it was a real West Virginia crew. Mm-hmm. All, all undergrads of West Virginia would come up and train with me. And there was one day he was deadlifting, and he was pulling. His blood pressure was so <laughs> high, and I'm not kidding, that blood started bubbling out of the pores of his face while he was deadlifting. So not only was he pre-diabetic, he was like feet from a from a heart attack. I like to think that I was just working really hard, but... It could have been my blood pressure. And, and, and so, can you delve in and tell us about that crew you brought with you? Because your undergrad years, you had some interesting cats you used to hang with. Yeah. Uh, well, so Nathan Lester is a hey Nate, if you're listening, you better be listening. Love you. Uh, Nathan is a current member here at Union Fitness, and it's just kind of coincidence that uh, we kind of wound up in Pittsburgh again together. Um, but he and I. He approached me in the gym, I think it was my sophomore year of college, and he goes, hey, man, we have a powerlifting club. You want to do it? And I was like, nope. Uh, <laughs> and uh, But I did end up doing it. We, just, we started training together, and, uh, you know, out of this blossomed our beautiful friendship. What happened to the other guys? There was uh, or Cody Judy, Cody Austin Judy. Vickers, Austin. Uh, Evan, uh, those guys, yeah. uh, they're super strong guys. Uh and we, for the most part, the powerlifting club at West Virginia, we just we trained together, uh, and a lot during football games because at, during football games, fun fact, no one is at the gym, so we would go like kickoff. We would like look at the most people look at the kickoff time, and be like, okay, I got to get to the tailgate this time, and then we can go to the game. We looked at the the kickoff time, and be like, okay, the gym will be empty by this time, uh, so we can go at this time, and like everyone will be gone. We'll get a squat rack, no problem. We can set up. And uh, so most of it was just training with those guys and, you know, doing a competition or two every year. Um, but, yeah, we, I mean, we ate, like, we ate so much crap. Uh, this reminds me of unbelievable. Here's a secret for everyone in Pittsburgh. Want to go grocery shopping? Check the Steeler kickoff. Best yes. Best time to go grocery shopping. I, I do it every week. I yeah. wait until the Steelers are playing. I get all my running around. Now, if you're a fan, you can listen. Yeah. Yeah, you can listen yeah. to game if you're a big fan. What is it, 102.5? Uh, WDV. WDV. Yep. I still usually have NPR on. Oh. 
You would. So would. you you were at West Virginia for your undergrad, mm-hmm. correct? Uh, what was your major there, and like how did how did that powerlifting group of guys that you had how did that kind of go towards what you wanted to eventually do, which was coach and get into strength and conditioning? Yeah, so I definitely started out uh, training and lifting was kind of the focus. Uh, and the physiology was interesting to me. The biology was interesting to me, hence why at WVU I, I have a, uh, a degree in Bachelor of Science from in exercise physiology, actually from the School of Medicine. So most of my classes were in the hospital. Um, so it, all, all of my experiences early on in life and even earlier, you know, wrestling uh, and the training that I did for that, uh, all, all I, I honestly think that I like training more. I know that I like training more than I actually like wrestling. Uh, so it was like the off season, the lifting, the running, conditioning, all of those things I liked more than the actual sport. And so that transferred once I found powerlifting, thanks to Nathan. Thanks, Nate. Uh, that kind of trans- that was a, a outlet for my passion for physiology and uh, biology and whatnot, and, and kind of coupled with my exercise physiology degree. And and then I I think that was my freshman year. I I went in for physical therapy uh, initially. That's what I thought I wanted to do. And then my freshman year, I learned that strength and conditioning for sports was a thing. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. We get to train athletes. And I always liked athletes. I didn't know if I really liked being an athlete, but I like being. Uh, I like well, being how a. Your voice go Canadian there. Being an athlete. Jocelyn. Jocelyn. Uh, but I liked being around them. I like training them. I like the concepts. And so once I uh, discovered that was a thing, uh, I went and interned with Todd Hammer. No, at- Jerry first, right? No, you were the first. I was first. I thought yeah. I was after Jerry. No, you were the first. Jerry I, is a man, by the way. I interned, Fun fact. I interned with uh, Todd Hammer in the summer of 2010, and I would wake up at cross the border. 6.30 or whatever. Yeah, cross the border. And I would drive over, and we would train. I still remember the schedule because it was, it was such a great experience. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. You, you, I wish you could see his face yet again. Yeah. We train at 7. Okay, groups at 8. Groups at 9. Uh, group at 10. It might have been the, like, the uh, staff. Yeah, yeah, faculty yeah. staff. That was a good time. Yeah. And, like, 11 was kind of, like, 11 to 12 was kind of a lull. We'd do some different stuff. And then have, like, a group at 1. Like, basketball would come in in the early afternoon, like, 1 or 2. Uh, and sometimes I would stay for those groups. Sometimes I would jet. Right. Yeah, yeah. You're right you after noon. Yeah, I was, and yeah. So I would intern most of the morning, maybe some of the afternoons, uh, and then I would leave there, and I would go to Ohio across the border, and I worked on a commercial farm, and so I was just, you know, irrigation, pick this stuff. A lot of times I was a a, a segue in between like uh, the migrant workers that were there. Because I knew, I didn't know much Spanish, but I knew more English. Uh, but so, like, I would work with them a good bit and pick whatever needed to be picked and, like, uh, do whatever manual labor job was on the on the docket for the day. What was that like? Oh, dude, they smoked me. <laughs> the migrant workers, they smoked me every day. 
And I would tr- I would try to go so well, fast. You were also in the process of gaining 90 pounds yeah. of Little Caesars and Krispy Kreme. Yeah. So you weren't exactly <laughs> like, hey, let's go to the field and hike a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I thought, in my mind, I can do anything. So, <laughs> you know, I tried to keep, oh, man, they're so fast. Like, if, so there's something called suckering tomatoes. So in, whenever the plant grows, there will be a branch. Uh, branches off and then there's a small little uh, branch that starts to come out yeah. and you have to pick that so that the tomatoes grow bigger so suckering tomatoes is something that you do fairly early in the plant's development you want it's just like it's maybe like two feet off the ground or so there you start getting suckers and I remember like rolling in between plants just doing it as fast as I could and there was just no it, was, it wasn't even comparable it was like it was like me trying to dive in a pool and keep up with Michael Phelps. I was... actually have more image of Back to Predator. Yeah. You in the forest, like rolling Jesse the Body Ventura style. <laughs> like this thing should have ended with that when he had that Tommy gun or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you should have shot the, shot the tomatoes down. Well, I would have been better at that than suckering them. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, so it, and I would get done with that job around 9 p.m. And I would go home. And I would eat, and while I would eat, uh, from 9 until 11. <laughs> Your mother would go, go pick weeds. Is that what you're going to say now? No, she wouldn't. She, There's buckets out there, guys. Oh, you fill she, she, she didn't put anything on. Well, sometimes she would. But usually she just let me be. But uh, I would eat, and uh, there was Everybody Loves Raymond on TV Land. There was four episodes from 9 to 11, and I would watch... <laughs> One to two episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond, and then I would go to bed. I hated that show. Oh, uh, well, I hate you. So, <laughs> <laughs> and and then I would get up and I would do it again. So I would go. That's why you were a terrible intern. Yeah, I was the best intern. And I would go every, and and that was, uh, that was my my initiation into strength and conditioning, collegiate strength and conditioning. And I don't mean to blow Hammer's ego up any more than it already is, but. It made me fall in love with training Never. people and training athletes. Uh, I want to ask a serious question. Who was our staff back then? It was Rick. Rick Cantor. Yeah, you, Rick, Umberger. and uh, no, Umberger was gone. All right. Uh, it was mostly just you and Rick. We'd already killed him and stuffed him in a board. <laughs> Rick was in the Rick was in the the phase of not being strong anymore and like. Doing snatches uh, with like crossfitting. Out yeah, he was doing snatches with like forty kilos, and then he would run outside and would disappear, and he'd come back and start <laughs> snatching forty Rick kilos again. Rick's an enigma. He got really lean, and you still <laughs> could not find a vein on his body. Yeah, it was weird. Like, He's no <laughs> definition. It's what were, what were called your skinny fat. Like as an intern. Uh, well, I would. <laughs> Train people. <laughs> it, I would train. Well, I don't know in the if morning. you had to go through anything uh, or do well, any garbage work. No, that well, I tell you the initiation too. Uh, I show up on I show up on campus. Oh God, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> you can't oh. defend yourself. I show up on campus and I like I find Hammer. He goes, "Hey," I'm like, "Hey, I'm Cody." He was like, oh, "Oh, okay." And I was like, "Let me show you around." I get a tour of the whole campus or whatever and all the facilities. And at the very end, he goes. So, you want to intern here? I go, yeah. He goes, all right, great. I'll see you the, like this day. And I was like, okay, cool. So, that was it. That was There was no application. There was no screening. There was no... He was like, hey, you look like you like to lift weights. You want to intern? Yeah, okay, great. All right, happy day. <laughs> for, for the record, Ralph showed up in a suit. Did he? Yeah. 
I don't think I did. No, you didn't. I think I was just like, I'm going to swing by and check it out. That, that's still how we work today. Yes. We had some good interns. Yeah. And We've been very lucky. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I just showed up. He's like, we train at 7. Uh, and actually, we did we did train. It was Stephen uh, Volek. Yeah. Yeah, he came in. And He's we with did the, uh, uh, one of the NHL teams minor league. Teams. Yeah. And so we did, I remember we did snatch balances. You made us do snatch balances. I do it all, And brother. I did it, and I felt pretty confident about what I, I was doing. And Stephen did it, and Stephen struggled uh, yeah, a good bit. Yeah, he's Olympic lifter, yeah. Yeah, he, he struggled, and... Uh, and I just remember you being like, uh, you need to be able to do this. You you can't be bad at this. Like, you have to be okay at doing I, this. Listen, you don't I have really, to be if you're great be coach, at it. You have to be okay at every lift. Yeah, you have to be okay you at it. You have to be able to show the lift. Yeah. Not and, that you're teaching snatch balance very often. You're right. But, right. But that, so. the whole concept is just try not to be really bad at anything. Yeah, I, was, I was wise. Yes. you. I mean, you still are very wise. Uh, so, train train teams and uh, I think I remember one of my favorite quotes from Hammer was uh, he said I don't even care if you like when you're coaching athletes and you're giving them cues I don't even care if you give them the wrong cue and tell an athlete a wrong thing as long as you do it with confidence <laughs> and so I'll still stand by that yeah I, I think it's, you'll figure it out yeah that was wrong. yeah like that yeah yeah you learn by teaching teaching is learning twice and so, yeah, I think... That, you screw up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and let, and, and that, I think that was something that really drew me was Hammer's... Uh, his, uh, his willingness to let people fail and to do things and fail and fail and fail, but not discouraging and fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. And fail. Ed Cohn once said, I never fail training because yeah. my training doesn't suck. Right. We are the other way. Yeah, we are the other way. But the, the willingness to let people learn by doing... And then, and and then, yeah, be, fail, and then you but adjust. In, in 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 defense of a lot of other places where you probably did intern, yeah, I think because I worked at a smaller school, we had you could to fail. That. Yeah, whereas yeah, you could at, fail. I think your experiences at probably West yeah. Virginia, at at uh, Missouri, at Bucknell, and at Clemson were probably very different because they would get fired if they let them. Yeah, uh, if they said to an intern, "Go ahead, use a wrong cue," right? You know, and learn from that cue. As long as you're not unethical or going to hurt someone, to me, it's cool. Yeah. Um, but so, so what I want to go is like after that, you know, obviously you went and interned in West Virginia, and that that would, you know, what, what were the differences, and what did you take from from the other experiences? So at West Virginia, the the training itself was a lot different. So uh, I was mainly with football, but I worked with really all the other Olympic sports, uh, not basketball, some, but not a whole lot. And the the training, uh, that's when I was first exposed to actually doing, like, hit. So, like, extensive tempos, reps to fail, like, like everything to failure. Yeah. Okay. So, everything to failure. Um, and, you know, it was that combined with, like, Olympic lifting. So, it was a lot of Olympic lifting, to squats <laughs> to failure. <laughs> and, but then supplemented with, with hit stuff. And it was it was good to be in, uh, and the same thing with Missouri was being in a big time Division One program, and um, you know understanding the different mentality that football has and, and the different way that they uh, go about their training, and it's a little bit more structured. There's less autonomy, which for me I never I didn't really like 
because that's a that's a big thing for me. Uh, but learning how to do things, just when you're told, and uh, to respect authority, which has also been a an Achilles heel of mine. That's uh, why I keep hiring. So yeah, I uh, I just hate authority. Uh, have a, like a, a rich disdain for it. Brad doesn't listen. To this. <laughs> hey Brad, I, I respect you. <laughs> um, so that and and you know almost being more like a soldier, where in Robert Morris you get more freedom, autonomy, and ability to be creative, and you're more like an artist. And so being able to see both sides of that at Mizzou in West Virginia, having to fall in line, do things this way, be orderly, and then. Actually, Bucknell and Robert Morris were more similar, where uh, Jerry was a very hands-off manager and boss, and I got to do pretty much whatever I wanted. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Which was awesome. Uh, and, you know, every once in a while, Jerry would be like, eh, I don't know about that. I'll be like, it's okay, Jerry. I promise everything will be okay. Uh, I'm not going to hurt anyone, probably. Uh so, like, uh, it's going to be okay, and if anything goes wrong, I will take the blame. I'll I, take I all the blame. I want to share two stories right now, both about guys named Jerry. First, your boss at West Virginia, one of your bosses oh, at West Virginia, Jerry. Jerry Hanley. I'll yeah. never forget, I, walked, I was at the CSCCA conference walking out to have a beer with Tim Contos, and I think Ryan Horn was with us, yeah. kind of the old VCU crew, and, uh, and this guy says, Hammer. I see. yeah, he goes, we shared an intern. And I saw the West Virginia, I said, oh, Jerry. He said, yeah, Cody. I said, great. And I said, I'm sorry, man, we're, uh, we're walking over across the street. He goes, where are you going? I said, to the bar. He goes, well, can, can, I, can I drink beer with you guys? And I said, can you buy? And he said, yes. I said, absolutely. <laughs> we've been friends ever since that day. Um, and the other one is, Jer- is your boss at Bucknell, yeah. who I'll never forget the day he called. and was like, hey, we're thinking about hiring Cody. Yeah. And I said, great, great guy. And uh, you'll appreciate this. Do you know what I was doing when I had that conversation with Jerry and I, uh, with the young lady, um, Cassandra. Cassandra, I'm sorry, I forgot her name. Uh, I was uh, stirring my compost pile. I was actually going to say walking your dogs. No, but... that's taking care of the compost. Oh. Um, and I had a conversation while, while shovel deep in the compost about you're... what a wonderful young man you are. You probably didn't know what you're doing because all the, the fumes from the compost. Do compost fume? Do they have fumes? Uh, well, I, I, the way I do it, it's, it's, a, it's okay. Oh, okay. I have four separate units running simultaneously. <sighs> This is the most pretentious thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking tea right now. So I just wanted to tell those two stories about your about your two uh, two friends. Oh yeah, then they were great. Jerry and Jerry were both kind of the same. Where I, I got a lot of freedom, and uh, that has been kind of the um, I think the setting that I work best in, and, and hence why I'm here too, is that you know I don't need a lot of prodding to do stuff. Like, if you give me an assignment or something that needs done, I will obviously do it. But as far as my self-development and finding things, like, around the space and the environment I'm at uh, that need to be – that can be better or that I see an opportunity to be able to offer something, like, you don't have to do – all you got to do is wind me up and let me go. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do a bunch of stuff that I think that will uh, better the the whole group. And I think that's basically sums up if I were to have a personal mission 
is that is that I, I just want things to be better when I'm around. I want to be useful. There, yeah, there was a book I've referenced many times. I may have said to you, um, it was called Car Guys vs. Bean Counters. And it, it, yeah. It, and it was uh, uh, about basically a vice chair of GM who came in the early 2000s to correct GM's design issues. Mm-hmm. And what they found is the design team was great. It was the bean counters who would nickel and dime the car to death. Mm. And, and I, I think that's one of the things... I see too much in strength conditioning where it is here is our system. Yeah. And, and you can't systemize people to death. Yeah. I think you have to be, and we've talked about it, soldier versus the artist. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely leaning heavily on the artist side. Like, I, I yeah. want, but, but at the same, like, because yes, we could answer a phone in a very rigid way at Union yeah. Fitness, but you just heard the conversation I had on the phone with the lady yeah. who called the wrong gym. <laughs> To set up silver sneakers. <laughs> what was that, 15, 10-minute phone conversation? Oh, yeah. And and who knows? Maybe that woman shows up at our door one day. Yeah. But I promise you there was nothing in the handbook on the way I took that phone call. Yeah. And I think you have to have that balance. You have to allow people yeah. to be people. What it, what it allows for is uh, autonomy, which yeah. is, if you look... It's there's empowering, too. There's, yeah, there's a lot of models of motivation out there. there there's a lot of them. Uh, they all have good aspects, and they are are all like all models uh, wrong, but are some are less wrong than others, and and a lot of these models include autonomy in one of the the key tenets of their their theory, and so and one of my favorites is and I don't know if you've ever heard this before self determination theory, which is competence, autonomy, and relatedness. And autonomy in that sense is. You allow people to be the agents of their own destiny and, and allow them to uh, make their way. Even if they're going to make mistakes, they there's there's not a, a, uh, a force enacted upon them to make decisions for them. Uh, one of my favorite studies, I'm going to share this because it, it shows autonomy, uh, is they did a study on rats where they injected both with a stimulant. Uh, it happened to be cocaine. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> they didn't go with caffeine. They no. went all in. Okay, no. I appreciate it. And what happened to both groups of rats? Uh, one, well, they did. Uh, but one, one, they took the rat and they stuck it and they injected it with cocaine. The other one, they allowed to go and press a lever to get injected. So they one went and chose to get injected with this cocaine. The other one, they just grabbed the rat and stuck it. And what happened to both rats, both groups of rats, is they both died. <laughs> they both were overstimulated. The <laughs> both were overstimulated, uh, didn't eat, didn't sleep, and they all died. But the ones that got to choose the injection lived longer, because what they per- they perceived the same exact stimulant, the same exact thing they were getting, they perceived it as not dangerous. They perceived it as not harmful, and so that is what happens whenever we are autonomous. Is that we could take. Uh, an activity or anything that we're doing like if you if you have friends coming over and you're like oh my gosh I need to clean my room okay and then you go and you clean your room how does that feel versus like it's Saturday morning or afternoon and your mom says hammer Todd clean your room and you go oh mom (laughs) (laughs) oh mom I don't want and then you go do it and you and you begrudgingly go and do it that is more stressful because you perceive it as as being uh, forced upon you. Well, that, that's some l- listen. That was a some really deep stuff. <laughs> B. My mother hasn't told me to clean my room in a long time. But C. It actually reminds me of something. 
and, and here's a mistake I've made in my career, I think that ties into this. Uh, when I worked at a previous university located in Moontown, we would call it University X, um, I think I had a terrible boss. Yeah. Um, and I think most people will know that. Um, and I, looking back on my career, saw so many mistakes I made because I had too much autonomy. Yeah. And the problem is, I think once, if you can get away with things, and I don't mean get away in a negative sense, but like, okay, I'm not going to do that because mm-hmm. I'm going to do this because no one seems to care. Yeah. Um, I think you find yourself in a position where you become a little apathetic about certain things. And, and I look back, like I said, on, on 12 years working there and go, man, I don't believe I did that. Like, I fell into such bad habits. So this goes back to one of my theories is give autonomy, but also at the end of the day, you know who's responsible? The boss. Yeah. Like, if, if something bad happens at Union Fitness... It's not CJ's fault. It's mine first. So if he drops the ball, well, I shouldn't have let him drop the ball. Yeah. And, and so I think that's something very important. I think probably your different experiences, whether it be Mizzou, West Virginia, or Robert Morris, you can see that kind of push and pull on both ends. Whereas mm-hmm. at, at Mizzou, they actually would have been fired if they ran the way I ran. Yeah. And they probably should have. But also, they couldn't have brought Mizzou into Robert Morris. It would have been too much. Yeah. And they too much honestly, chaos. But the other issue is they wouldn't have got the help. Like, if you think about the interns that we had come through, whether it be Rick, whether it be Ryan, whether it be yourself, whether it be Ralph, and all these successful coaches, I do believe that they only would have flourished in that setting. Yeah. They would have struggled in other settings. But because they were able to fall forward, mm-hmm. they had success. So so you have to – it's specific to your environment. Yeah. And I think you see this in athletics too. Uh, a similar phenomenon is like – if you have a systems coach, so you have a, like, let's say you have a track coach that does, like, a ridiculous amount of volume. Like, like every track coach. Right, like most track coaches. <laughs> but they do that, like, even for sprinting. Like, they do hills, they do stadiums. They every do, track they, coach. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in most. <laughs> track coach, for, for the listener, track coaches are the biggest pain in the ass in straight Yeah. It, but then you see some, like you see some sprinters, some real freaks. Like it doesn't matter what you do, or, or they can just tolerate a great workload and they're really fast exactly. and they succeed. Uh, and then there's ones that are uh, very reflexive, very reactive, and they, if you do too much work, they crumble. But if you are in a system mindset. Like in, in, in the only way to do it is in your system and this is what we're doing. Uh, and we go from in you know, most track coaches they they get their USTF periodization scheme and they go from high volume to low volume high intensity. And so in the fall you just like you go into practice and bam, like crushed every single day. Yeah. And but then, like some of those kids, like the whole time they're just getting beat up. They don't get any better, and uh, and then they end up not doing as well as they did. Like whenever they transferred from the JUCO, where they barely practiced, you know. So you know, there's there's something there where they go, oh, you're in JUCO. Like wait till you get here. You're going to be so much better because we do more and like we have this system. And they get there, and it turns out that doing more, like. Cheetahs and cats don't like doing a whole lot. Like sprinters, like true, uh, super elastic, not really uh, muscularly driven cats, uh, they don't like doing a whole lot. They don't like repeat 200s, and they don't like repeat 300s. Like 
they don't they don't want to do that work and probably for good reason because it doesn't really help them they got by and they were very successful with doing very minimal practice and there is uh, a little bit of nugget of truth in there is that that was the training that probably benefited them the most and we could delve into the whole topic of like self-selection of training regimes and, and whatnot and that kind of takes us down a whole other rabbit hole but but I think you, you, you made a great point and your boss your old boss and my good friend Brian Mann now a professor at Miami you know I, I was with him this summer together having some beers and he said uh, you know if, if you want someone to perform their best don't have them do anything because yeah. going for a walk yeah. is accentuating type 1 fibers and yeah. you're trying to hit type 2 X's and type 2 A's all the time you're not going for a walk you're yeah. not you're doing nothing the laziest athlete yeah in many ways is going to be your most successful and and you know you've seen it it's frustrating you, how many lazy freaks have you oh seen my life? god like i've seen like all of them like you jump 41 inches and you're like yeah. you're the laziest dude yeah ever met. dude you just played you you all you do is play uh what's that popular game now Fortnite? Fortnite, Fortnite, yeah. That's like popular. you, pl- yeah, you played for that. All right, you played Fortnite for like eight hours yesterday. You haven't done like, <sighs> yeah. But you're, you're right. It's and they're also uh, and this also helps is they're the most parasympathetic dominant. They're like sleeping all the time. They can't wake up for workouts. Uh, you know they're 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 your typical like they look like a bum and they act like a bum, but then they, you know they they have these really short bursts of. Uh, yeah, uh, if they if they so choose. Yeah, uh, but I mean, you you've seen the, the guys who walk in the gym, never lifting a weight in their life, benching three fifteen, yeah. you know, vertical jumping forty inches plus, and, and squat squatting close to five hundred pounds. And you're like, you're you're actually one of the four laziest humans I know. Yeah, I had a linebacker that added one hundred and sixty pounds to the squat in one semester, <laughs> and I can tell you he was na- he was natural, not <laughs> not taking anything because he was too lazy to take it. <laughs> He didn't want to spend the money. He'd rather spend it on Doritos. The best part is my football coach at the time, who was not great, um, he, uh, you know, he, this was like his shining light. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I took the kid from a 315 to a 475 squat in 10 weeks. Yeah. And, but what I didn't have a hard time was I really didn't do that. Yeah. He probably had the ability to yeah. squat 460 when I met him. Yeah. His body just didn't know what to do. Yeah. I just taught him how to squat. Yeah. I didn't actually make him a better athlete. Yeah. If yeah. anything, I might have made him worse athlete. Yeah. He actually learned how to move slower. Good job, Hammer. Good job. I wonder why he got fired in that job. <laughs> I didn't say it that time. Ding. I didn't say it that time. <laughs> well, man, awesome. we got on a lot of tangents here. So. We did. We yeah. went over a lot of them. Do you have anything else? That, what brought you here then? I know well, Todd hired you here. Before we end the podcast, what kind of brought you here? Was it just a random phone call? Or were you guys kind of in the, in the talking of... Cody uh, coming here. We're always talking. I became That's a little weird. a little disenchanted with what I was doing, and uh, I had and I have had such a strong why and, and foundation and belief for what I was doing and coaching, and the landscape of collegiate strength and conditioning, especially the Power Five, is changing. And I've seen for several years that I didn't like the direction it was going in. And much of what I see, and not necessarily hear, because you hear people say that they care about the well-being of the athlete, and they care about... <laughs> I laugh because it's all a lie. Yeah, how many times have you heard that? 
they care about the well-being of the athlete and they care about developing athletes and they don't care about winning and they don't care about but hearing that is one thing but then when you see and behind closed doors you you see different things and the, and the the vision that other people have doesn't align with what your vision is and my vision is I do not care about winning winning does not mean anything to me because it doesn't give me enough information all it tells me is that your outcome is better than another per, uh, another person's outcome it tells me nothing about your inputs and I'm more concerned about inputs I really don't care if you win or lose what I care about is what is your input what is your work ethic like what is your attitude like how do you treat other people are you focused on school are you getting all F's are you not working hard uh, do you treat people like crap and then you go on to win and then winning doesn't seem to mean that much to me and that's where the disenchantment came from was that uh, you see that happen and you see those people being praised continuously and, and it's and only with the excessive use of inst, uh, in, or, uh, instant media uh, social media instant media, <laughs> instant media. Oh we're gonna <laughs> yeah, new thing uh, only with the the emergence and, and heavy usage of social media do you see them praised even more and social media to me is a lot of things but one of the major things is it's uh, it tells me what I'm valuing because what I post is what I value and so if I'm posting an athlete that doesn't work hard and doesn't treat people well and isn't isn't a great person in the community and doesn't do the right things outside of the weight room and doesn't do the right things outside of the competitive <laughs> field and if you post about them being this great athlete then for me the bottom falls out and I and I don't respect you anymore as a, if it's a coach or if it's a, uh, a administrator and I mean administration has no idea what's going on anyways in, in people's lives for the most part but like that is where the dis suits. <laughs> suits. That's where the disconnect was for me, and I left a lot of really great kids, and I left a lot of really great people. But the vision of where Division One, especially Power Five uh, athletics, is going, I don't know if I could keep doing it because I had this sort of existential crisis let me let me let me let me add to that though you do know and i know the same thing you know yeah um the profession it, it did change and you couldn't keep doing it because yeah. the people we know and there are a lot of great coaches out there. there's a lot of great strength coaches don't take this as a negative thing per se as everyone sucks mm -hmm. but the reality is it, it fergus Conley has said it it is an entertainment business business yeah, yeah. it is not it is not about education it's not about improvement the life skills people god bless them yeah they're, they're doing great work and some of the strength coaches are doing great work some coaches do yeah. great work but at the end of the day if you go and it's trickling into every sport if you go yeah. two losing seasons in a row it doesn't matter yeah. that you're in a non-revenue sport you're getting fired yeah and the sad fact is you might have great kids graduating donating back to the school, doing you may have, the right things. You may have a Rhodes Scholar. It doesn't matter. Uh, you, you know, and, and as a strength coach, one of my pet peeves is a strength coach when they say, we haven't had an ACL in three years. <laughs> you're lucky. Yeah. You're lucky. It's not because you're three sets of ten. Yeah. 
blue pants. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, well, we did a deduction, or a deduction, not a deduction. Yeah. I I appreciate that, and I want, and and you should look at trends and rates. Yeah. But the reality is, I see our coach, strength coaches bashed all the time because of injury rates. Yeah. When I I right. I saw one time a strength coach bashed on the internet because the team was injured, they had the flu. Yeah. They had the flu. Well, there's a problem. Half the team's out with injury. Yeah. It's the it's flu. It's the flu. <laughs> Strength coach fault. I'm sorry that they didn't put masks on them yeah. before they walked across campus. Yeah. But I think that, you know, that's part of the problem is that, and, and, and part of it comes from strength conditioning because mm-hmm. we are always judging. How many times have you seen it at conferences and heard it? What should the Pirates have done to prevent the amount of hamstrings they had this year? I don't mm-hmm. know. I've never met yeah. most of, I, I, I met one current player on the Pirates, so I couldn't tell you what they should do. Yeah. I don't know. And, and that, that, the problem, I think, part of it is people thinking they know more than they know. Mm-hmm. And that runs from administration, the coaches, athletes, everyone. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your whole thing there. But oh, I don't even know what I was talking about after that. I was listening. You pretty much summed it up. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know where to go from that. So, unless, yeah. unless you're, and now you're here. All I want to do is. <laughs> don't look at me <laughs> while you say Zoom in a boom boom. That song is what you What song is that? Staring into my soul. Zoom, zoom, zoom in a boom boom. Uh, <laughs> we lifted that daily. All I want to do is be able to live out my personal mission, which is to breathe life into the world. <laughs> Are you really playing that? <laughs> I've been way ahead. Just queued up the whole time. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry. I took okay. away a serious moment. That's that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Uh, that's good. That's yeah. good. No, that's a good one, and, and we appreciate you. And the reason uh, I appreciate you. The reason you're here because I think you're a great asset, and we've had great feedback from the people we brought in. And keep let's keep rolling, bro. Uh, I'm very grateful to be here, and to be with my mentor, Todd Hammer. Thank you. God bless you. God God bless your soul. Don't look at me. <laughs> you're looking at me while you're saying God bless your soul to Todd Hammond. He's more concerned with my soul. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, that's what we're going to end on today. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode. No